Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is a associate professor of practical theology and youth ministry for Indiana Wesleyan University and the director of the Imaginarium and involved in a ton of really cool projects and the author of numerous books and a great speaker. And our text this week is Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Genesis 21, 8 through 21. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. All right, so... We're looking at Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Genesis 21, 8 through 21. Continuing our summer series uh, in Genesis uh, and Exodus as well later, but Genesis for now. So Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. All right. Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring." So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. 
God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, you know all hearts. All things are open before your eyes. You know what we are thinking and feeling, Amanda, myself, and all those listening in across time and space. You know our hearts. You know us more deeply than we even know ourselves. And so as you see us and behold us, we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, that we may be rendered fit instruments of your praise and equipped servants of your word, that we may bear the word for ourselves and on behalf of others. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much again for reading. What's uh, what's grabbing your attention today as you read this text aloud for us? Yeah, this is a text that I feel like I always have more questions than answers. Um, I never feel like I could do this text justice because it, it seems so rich. And every time I read it, I feel like there's there's something else that I'm noticing. Well, that's the reason to preach on it it's once every three years, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. So one of, the, one of the things that stuck out to me, first of all, I was reading through this passage in the ESV earlier, and I noticed in verse 9 of the ESV, it says that Sarah saw the boy laughing. Now, in my, in my translation here, it says playing with her son Isaac, but the thought of Sarah and laughter coming up again certainly grabbed my attention. I don't know if you have the Hebrew there in front of you and can distinguish that, but... Yeah, so here it's it's uh, it's mitzakach, mitzakach. I'm saying it poorly. Mitzakek. Yeah, mitzakek. It's one of those. Uh, so I'm I'm not doing that justice. But uh, so it is exactly the same word. I did double check huh. as you were reading. Uh, <laughs> just because I was like, I think that's it. Exact same word used in in chapter uh, is it 19, 18, 18 about Sarah laughing. And getting kind of, why did you laugh? And she denies that she laughed. Yeah. And then, so, and of course, his name then is Isaac Itzak, which has not identical, but but some similar letters in it. They sound similar. It's, uh, where, let me double check. Yeah, it's, it's Itzak. It's very close, not identical, but, but close enough that, uh, that you can see the connection. And in the original here, it's, it's, he's, Laughing with or laughing at, but it has no object. Hmm. So the Septuagint and the Vulgate, which have behind them Hebrew texts that are older than what we have, that we no longer is preserved. So okay. it's like our oldest texts are not in Hebrew. Our oldest witnesses yeah. to, and I know you know this, but our, some yeah, of our listeners might not yeah. be aware. This is our, so some of our oldest witnesses to the Old Testament are, are translations. So most of the time you can just, you can tell that, that, that these are translation choices that are being made, mm-hmm. but occasionally they might be representing different textual variants, 
you know, so, so there's a little bit of sleuthing that sometimes kicks in hmm. with these texts. So here it is, it is ambiguous. And of course you probably should lean on the more ambiguous reading. So the ESV plays it safe as it typically does by just saying, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. The actual, you could almost say laughing at or laughing with, but no object. So it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work in English. So you have to drop the, the preposition. Uh huh. Um, or you need to supply an object. Sure. See it? Yep. So that's yep, why that it's, sense. so it, there really isn't a perfect solution just in terms of the sheer grammar of it. Yeah. Thanks for letting me geek out. Oh, on sure. That. So you sure. Had, you asked a grammar question, Amanda. What I know. Expect? My first question was grammar. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So this just, this is another reason why, why Sarah just bothers me. <laughs> oh, she does. So she was laughing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was laughing, uh, and she's upset with this boy now for for laughing at a party. I mean, this is a feast. You're supposed to be laughing here. Mm. Now, like you said, it's ambiguous, laughing with or laughing at, and that would make a difference. But but it's just so striking that here he is laughing at a place where it's probably appropriate to be laughing, and she just she has no no space for that. Yeah, and even yeah, it's so funny. As we're zeroing in on that moment, and it's good, we, you know, there's kind of really two, two scenes here. So it's okay that we're kind of hanging out in the first scene. Maybe we'll turn to the second after mm-hmm. the break. But in the first scene, in the party scene, whatever this laughing is, even if it's the worst possible, right? The, the narrative that has him as this kind of mocking teenager laughing at. That's how I always pictured it as a, as a child growing up, that's how it was narrated and pictured, at least in my mind. Hmm. He's there at the party, you know, kind of scoffing at the little, and that's hmm. maybe me as a younger brother, uh, <laughs> importing my own experience, yeah, thinking, yeah. oh yeah, typical older brothers, you know, scoffing at their, their younger children. I should check the King James. That might be helpful to reveal why that was the standard reading in my younger years. But, but even if that's the, like, it's on the least charitable interpretation of Isaac's behavior, uh-huh. it's, it's still not the basis. It's still not a, like a warranted basis for the, the kicking them out. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and she reveals that in verse 10, right? Cast out this slave woman with her son. Yeah. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. I mean, and here we're getting at something that really is, something is at stake here. Right. And I'm not trying to, defend Sarah as much as try to understand her. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the, I mean, this is setting up Hagar as, and her son as the inheritor and kind of writing her out of the story. I mean, this, she, when Abraham dies, she could end up a widow and a prostitute hmm. if it goes this way. Hmm. Right. She, it's not like there's no, nothing at stake. Sure. This isn't just sheer sure. selfishness. Yeah. And they've been on this decades-long journey together, Abraham and Sarah, for a, an heir. Lot might have been for a while. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be Ishmael. Now it's finally one from her own womb, and God came and visited her. I mean, it's like from <laughs> God, but he's not the oldest, you know? We, we were watching Prince of Egypt with the kids, and they're asking about firstborn and who would die. And I remember <laughs> saying to them, it was like... Well, it's about the heir. Who's the heir? Right, right. right. It's not about who came out of the womb first, you know? I mean, it is that, but that's more symbolic than it's who's the heir. And they are competing heirs. And the obvious heir is the older one. He is a son of 
Abraham. He's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's not an illegitimate child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in an ancient world, that would not be regarded as an illegitimate child. He would be a legitimate heir. And you, you said you, you always read this as Ishmael scoffing. I always read actually the opposite oh. of, of him enjoying the party that he's having fun and she's oh. watching him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, this joy doesn't belong to him. He doesn't get to participate oh. in this. Man, he really hates Sarah. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. No, no, it's legitimate. Yeah, well, normally Sarah bothers me, and then I get even more angry at Abraham, um, which, yeah, tends to happen. Which is probably a fair journey to go on. Yeah. Maybe it's not so so much that I... No, it's helpful to hear that that was kind of your more default image, is this kind of, like, he's just having fun at the party, Mm -hmm. and the inversion, like, with the prodigal son story of the... The oh, older sibling sure. not coming to the party oh, and that's celebrating. Interesting. Just, that's he's just interesting. there having a good time. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you must have had some spoil sport Sunday school teachers or something. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you. I'm sorry. So you, you said teenager. I'm just trying to do the math here. So Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. He's 99 when he's told when Isaac is born, and then he, Isaac is weaned after that. So that's 13 years between birth. Weaned, I don't know, three, five years. Who knows what they did. But it um, wouldn't be more than, wouldn't be less than a year and wouldn't be more than four or five. So. Yeah. So probably mid mid to late teenager. No matter how you run the math, he's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I remember someone pointing out the teenager, the scoffing teenager. Hmm. Uh, some sermon somewhere. You know how it gets in your head? Yeah. And it's all you ever have. And I didn't even know till today that there's a both translation and textual issue there. Hmm. Right? Yeah. It is mocking in the King James, by the way. Hmm. So they went. They went with the 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 Septuagint's reading, the the, the Greek uh, Old Testament reading. Sorry to double back. No, I just thanks. thought I'd mention that. Um, yeah. Although you grew up with NIV, probably right. I, I grew up did. with a bit of both. Um, mocking is in is in NIV as well, though. So interesting. Interesting. Uh, in RSV that you read, though, I've not noticed this before, went with this choice of playing with her son. Yeah. Again, Yeah. if you supply the object, it's either mocking, laughing at, or laughing with. It's, <laughs> it's mem. It's the, same, hmm. it's the same Hebrew preposition for both with and at. It would be wow. context, right? Yep. Although we know that this is the kind of laughing that can have a kind of scoffing range, semantic range, because of of uh, Sarah's own laughter earlier, right. which clearly right. had at least a little bit of a scoffing side to it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that again, wasn't laughter out of pure joy. <laughs> yeah. It was the well, incredulity. And that's the thing, is maybe it's becoming that, and that's what's... And I think you're right. I mean, either way you go on it, this is uh, this is kind of the moment of... I mean, this is the perfect moment, whatever his behavior at the party. Again, I think emphasizing the problem with emphasizing the mocking is to turn it into a kind of moralistic thing, to turn Ishmael right. into right as somehow a moral failing yeah. to make Abraham not look as bad. Yeah. If he would have just been a better behaved teenager. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sympathetic with, uh, with NRSV's choice to keep it at least neutral to positive, sure. just mostly to correct for the overkill. But again, why wouldn't he mock him? I mean, you know, 
I mean, he, he's being dethroned, right? How old did you say he was when Isaac was born? 13? 13. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to have spent your entire 13 years. I mean, yeah. my, my, my uncle is 10 years older than my dad. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they say in birth order yeah. theory, right? <laughs> an only child, yeah. <laughs> right, as well, we got seven years or so. But Something I mean, like as far that. as he knew, he was, and he had been a usurper. He had usurped a lot. Yeah. Right. So the mm-hmm. promise of a, a son from your own loins, meaning not a lot, but uh, so he'd already kind of usurped. Uh, so now the shoe's on the other foot, and that really sucks. So I, I, I could, I could see the a teasing, a mocking, being very likely. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's so much here. Okay, okay. Oh, he sends him off with bread and water. Mm-hmm. I mean, his own, his own son. Yeah. They've been with each other a long time and then wakes up one early one morning. Here's bread. Here's water. Off you go. I mean, that's layers of harshness there. Yeah. Well, if we want to make it feel the burn, though, what God speaks in this passage. Verse yeah. 12. Yeah. So it says in verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Which, of course, is ambiguous. Which son does he mean? Mm -hmm. Although, in the context, he seems to be about, if he's displeased, then he's talking about his son, Ishmael, who he thinks of as his son. Not her son, but his. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. It's kind of like, I am going to fulfill my promise in this double way. Both ways, there's going to be a a, a, a fulfillment. And I don't want to defend God too quickly. I want to let the story play out. But there at least is... I see some mercy, at least here, or at least let's just say wisdom for now. Right? I see wisdom in God's prudent providence of this family system where if they stay in the same household, hmm. Hmm. The, the only way to bless both of these families actually is going to have to be by one of them going away. You know, it's already fever pitch. Yeah. The competition yeah. between the mothers, um, the uncertainty on Abraham's side and the kind of faith limiter that this is because he has a backup heir, yeah, right? And yeah. so this is classic God to take the backup away. I mean, this is just, right? <laughs> classic Adonai move, right? To say, you know, no, I'll, I'll fulfill it, but you need to go. Now, I, I'm with you that he doesn't, but he gives him, he doesn't give him nothing, I guess. What, what was it? It took bread. Bread and water. The skin of water gave to, I mean, this is if all, if you skipped verse 12 and 13, it looks like he's sending them off to die. Yeah. Yeah. There could be a mustard seed of faith here that God is going to provide hmm. something for them. Because he promised, I'm going to do something through them. Yeah. I have wondered too. So, I mean, we can't talk about this story without the parallel story of Hagar being sent out into the wilderness right. once before when she's pregnant. And uh, once again, cast out from Sarah and Abram. And the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar there and Uh says, 
I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for, for multitude. And it makes me wonder if Hagar came back thinking, my, my son is surely the heir. You know, I've, I have heard from God hmm. uh, if there was a certain confidence that brought her back. And then when Isaac is conceived, when Isaac is born, perhaps how disorienting that, that might have been for Hagar. Oh, my. Absolutely. That's a really good point. That's because Sarah hasn't heard from God at this point, has she? No, it's it, it's just Sarah. You mean earlier? Right. Yeah. No, because the, the oh yeah she doesn't laugh until you know oh, a chapter no, later. Yeah, no, as far as so Hagar Hagar's had the baby. She's had the angel of the Lord mm-hmm. speak to her, provide for her. No, that's a good insight. That's a really good insight. I was thinking of the forward connection as well. Abraham rising in the morning. And sending them off, because we'll see him rise again in the morning in oh. chapter 22 with his other son. We'll save that yeah. for another week. That's, yeah. that's, that's next week. I won't be on that one. Yeah, I know. you made that clear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for all our listeners out there, uh, it's just, you, you may enjoy knowing that uh, since Amanda is not only one of my favorite guests and favorite preachers, but also my wife, I usually try to give her first dibs on the texts. <laughs> perks. Yeah, little perks. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, well, probably... That one, or that one, or that one, or that one is basically any of them but Genesis 22. <laughs> so I don't want to touch that with a temple pool. Yep. Yeah. I got Sophia booked, so I don't Oh, good. <laughs> I'll, she'll, she'll teach me everything I need to know then. <laughs> she seems to have a preference for the toughies. She, <laughs> she that's does. not the first time. She did She did the Lazarus uh-huh. uh, and the rich man yeah. one with yeah, Another me. one, I was like, nope, not doing that one. <laughs> and did uh, did the Ezekiel dry bones, which is great, oh, which but is it's fun, but not an, e- but not an not easy, but not an easy one. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break and come back and do uh, dig in a little deeper. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. So as we continue to uh, interpret, uh, um, you mentioned actually on the break uh, that you, there was one other thing at least that you wanted to attend to. What was that? Uh, yeah, just the the relationship now between Hagar, Ishmael, and God in in the wilderness. Yeah. First of all, I, I do find it a little bit strange that she leaves the the child underneath a tree. He's a teenager. And it, I have a hard time picturing how that how that plays out. But what I find really interesting though is. She separates from the boy and, and she's praying, you know, do not let me look on the death of my child. Mm-hmm. But when God responds, when the angel of God responds, it's not because of her voice. It's because of Ishmael's voice. Mm-hmm. So she says in verse 16, don't let me look on the death of the child. Verse 17. Mm-hmm. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, uh, you know, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. It, it makes me wonder, well, what was Ishmael saying? Hmm. Wow, there's this little, this little unheard prayer. Hmm. As it were, a groaning, perhaps. It yeah. says he heard the voice. It doesn't have to, he actually may not have been saying anything hmm. at all. He could have been whimpering right let me double check the the language but see verse 17 yeah and i heard the voice of the boy where he is yeah my hebrew is not that good i gotta actually look it up 
Sorry. <laughs> what is that? Verse what? Verse... Oh, 17. So 17. good. I'll come back to that. But that's a beautiful image to recognize that she's... Lifting up her voice and weeping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God heard the voice of the boy. boy. Now, God has heard her voice before. Right. Mm -hmm. And is it a hearing? I'm going to double check. Uh, And then she talks about seeing. It just says the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water and asked her. Yeah. So that's how she, uh, you could almost say she learned that God might hear Hmm. uh, after that. Yeah, well, she called she names the name it, of the Lord. What the um You are God of seeing the, the God who of seen. Or the God who sees. So you wonder if she's crying out now the second time, okay, you're the God that sees me, see me now. And then she says, mm-hmm. I can't see this. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking of was the seeing. The see, yeah. Don't let me look on the death of, of the child. You're right, the initiative in her first fleeing before the, the boy is born. Uh she's pregnant, but the boy's not yet born, correct? Right. Um the initiative kind of comes from God's side, right? God goes and finds her to kind of bring her back. Yeah, and that first forward. time she runs away. Right. It's not someone sending her. I mean, Sarah is treating right. her harshly. So all the initiatives coming. Sarah, excuse me. Mm-hmm. So now here it's reversed. She's being driven out directly, but then calls on the God who has seen her before, but doesn't want to watch her own son oh, die. You, yeah. You brought up the... And I don't want to take you off if you were wanting to... You said there was one more thing. I mean, maybe it's just the whole scene, the second oh, scene. It, but it, was there something specific there? The It was Ishmael's the voice. voice. It was the voice of the boy. Yeah. So let me glance at that. So so let's see. I'm going to Bible Hub. Everybody Bible loves Hub. Bible Hub, right? Genesis 21, verse 17. And I'm going to be <sighs> clicking on my interlinearity. What's that? It's, it's an ugly site, though. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I, well, they could spend a little money on a design person i agree that it's not pretty looking but it's got you know full-blown analysis of every word in the bible that's pretty great well that's um that's not nothing (laughs) (laughs) heard the voice of the boy yeah it's 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 you know it's cold so i mean it could be it's usually voice but it's also sound just like in the new Mm -hmm. testament fos Mm -hmm. you know could be sound wouldn't have to be voice or it would always be voice, but it wouldn't have to have words. Okay. And, I, and I bring okay. that up only because I, I mean, and uh, forgive the the randomness of this connection, but I don't know who am I talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, I don't do random. <laughs> I, I can't just can't help but think of the groaning in Romans eight. You mm. know? Yeah. Uh, the groaning with word groaning too deep for words that the spirit praise you know and to have a moment of people crying out to god but without any words specified Mm -hmm. can't help me but i can't help but sort of see the spirit moving there right yeah and this is this is an increase increasingly common pattern for me in my own study of the scriptures is i've long believed in the doctrine of inspiration that the spirit is at work in the the composition and preservation of the text. The problem with having that doctrine without other important doctrines in play, it's a good doctrine. But if you only have that doctrine, then you think, okay, the spirit was there to make sure this was an accurate description of things that happened. 
and then you then you forget that the spirit might have been doing things in the events that are being narrated. You catch what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so, of course, the spirit was inspiring the authors and preservers of this text, but the spirit is also at work even when not named <laughs> in the lives of these people. Any interaction with God is a spirit led you know, event, right? Sure. This is something I've learned to pay attention to from my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, you know, to kind of, you know, could this be a kind of, I don't know, I mean, I'm not turning into some kind of glossolalia just to say, hmm. this is, this is a prayer that's hmm. the kind of the deepest kind of prayer that's beyond words. It's just the whimpering under a tree because what you said, when you said he's a teenager, how is it that she puts him under the tree? Yeah. Yeah. And, I guess the clue for me is the hold him fast with your hand. When verse 18, up, mm-hmm. lift, lift up, up the, the boy. boy. Well, I mean, she's leaving him there for dead. Clearly they've run out of water and he is, he's incapacitated. He can't function. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. the leaving him yeah. by the, it's oh. not like oh. a little kid who's like, sit right here and you'll to remember that he is, he's, he's absolutely not a day older than 14. Probably more, right? Because you said it's thirteen year spread, right? Eighty four to ninety nine. Not a day younger than fourteen. Excuse me. You know, yeah, not a day younger. Excuse me, right? So if he was thirteen when his when his little half brother was born, and he's been weaned, you know, then it couldn't be a day younger than fourteen. Wouldn't be, and couldn't be older than you know about eighteen, in terms of just the natural kind of places where weaning would take place. So, and actually for. For the sake of application into our world, it's nice to just give it a range. It could be anywhere from 14 to 18, right? Because then it kind of just yeah. quite literally classic teenagerdom. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. a high schooler to use yeah. our modern parlance, right? And obviously, so she's probably, he's probably bigger than her actually, or, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably pretty hard actually for him to, actually, it's very fitting, the language. I, I'm almost seeing it as we talk here, right? Lift up the boy. And hold him fast with your hand. It's not carry him. It's lift him, get him up. Sure. And then hold him up. Yeah. And keep him going. And then the promise, because I'm going to make him a great nation, which is kind of like, I don't, I can't eat that. <laughs> God, I need water. I don't, I need water and bread. I don't yeah. need. Yeah. Wow. I wonder too, this, you know, the last line is on Egypt here. So we know this is an Egyptian mm. slave. So he's, he's half Egyptian. And then he marries an Egyptian woman. Huh. Uh, makes me wonder if, uh, you know, they wander down south then and eventually meet descendants of Isaac during a famine. Oh, right. Well, of course, the the, the tradition of Ishmael as the father then of Ishmaelites and and associ- which are associated with the desert to the south and to the east, which is the Arabian Peninsula, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and of course, the the Muslim tradition that associate that, that claims this positively yeah. as their father. I mean, I bring that up just to say that kind of like there's also an agenda <laughs> in the authors of this text to paint the Ishmaelites in a you know as Egyptians, yeah. right? Because yeah. you can't get more enemy than Egyptian, right? I mean, it's kind of like. <laughs> It's just pretty straightforward. <laughs> so there is definitely some ethnic and racial or ethnic tension. I think racial tension is to confuse sure. matter with some modern concepts, but there's definitely some ethnic tension 
at work here. Wow. Out in the wilderness, I mean, you, you're, you actually, you know, like, so you, you know, you're not a big fan of extremes. Uh, nope. <laughs> with weather. I like to go outside and feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's two kinds of wilderness, right? There's, uh-huh. there's cold wilderness and hot wilderness to make it simple. It's not actually, it isn't that simple. Cause of course the desert gets very cold at night. So it's not cold and hot. It's, it's snowed, you know, it's the snow wilderness, mm-hmm. right? The wilderness of Jack London novels, the wilderness okay. my father loves. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, and Rod Crossman loves and the paintings, mm-hmm. you know, and all mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and in that context, being big, tall, heavy set, even like the more you have on you, the better. Right. Right. Cause it's extra just layers of, and to hibernate as it were. Yeah. Right. Well, the other extreme, the desert, which, you know, I have a kind of weird, creepy love for. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, it actually hurts you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's better to have less. That that's what helps you. Um, this is part of why the, you know, the, the earliest monks kind of went out into the desert, right? There's something about the desert is the, it forces you to fast, but also like, you know, you can live on very little in the desert, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it occurs to me just today, thinking about the desert and thinking about how they're out in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba is the furthest, southernmost point of the kind of Palestinian uh, stretch of land. So the wilderness, of, I mean, this is very dry, arid, not a lot of cities, nothing going on. It's not, it's actually quite plausible that, that he would, he would run out before her because he runs out of water. And the sooner you, the sooner you run out of water, it's actually, if, if he's precisely because he's young and got that metabolism, mm-hmm. he's running, he's, he's, he's choking out because he doesn't have enough water. It's just an awful, awful, awful scene. It really is. It it's is. It's just terrifying. Who would want to watch their own son gasp for for water? And then verse 19 is so bizarre then. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. We see that verse. What's, what's, what's the verse about Jesus? Luke 2.52, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Grew in wisdom and stature and faith with God and man. <laughs> well, I mean, except for some of those subtle things like the Egyptian connection and the wife. Ismail's actually painted in pretty sympathetic light here. Yeah. In this narrative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Any signals the other way are pretty subtle and not in the foreground. But the seeing of the well, the thought that the well was in eyeshot. You know, like it doesn't say God provided a well. God dug a well. <laughs> it just said he opened her eyes yeah. and she saw a well that was already there. Right. Now yeah. we're getting in sermon territory. Right. But like yeah. the command of God is to fear not and help the boy. Pick him up. <laughs> Keep going. Press on. And again, Eric Auerbach says that the Hebrew narratives are fraught with background, right? There's so much seemingly going on, right? And every little va, which is and or then or but, you know, and you know, like in an old King James, you get and this, and this, and there yeah, is, yeah. they they translate every va. It's just a prefix on the front of a word. 
but every and can be doing different things. And a the can mean like two days later. Huh. It doesn't have to mean right away, right? You just don't know. Yeah. Wow. And the more you spend with a story like this, it suddenly occurs to me. I said it was in iShop, but the text doesn't say that. The text says, Va, <laughs> God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. I mean, perhaps, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she heard the word, saw the water. That's one reading. She hears the word, opens the eyes, sees the water, goes to the water first, brings it to the boy. The other possibility is there's a missing step here that's not narrated because almost every, very few steps are often narrated in Hebrew narratives. They're just very fraught with background, right? She goes, she lifts him up. They begin walking again. And then as a little time behind Tasses and God then, as a sort of second miracle, opens the eyes. Mm. You could read it either way. Yeah. I don't think the, the syntax requires one or the other reading. I don't know. What, 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 what is that? Raise for you. Do you are you inclined towards one reading or the other? Which fits the context better from your best guess? Well, honestly, this is backtracking a bit. Go ahead. Uh, in the past, I've I wondered if if it was a well just appearing. Mm-hmm. If it, if it wasn't there all along and and more of a poof. <laughs> I don't get caught up in that though. That's not a. I don't need to spend time on that. Well, let's, I actually want to, uh, because of chapter 22, verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. Again, the tendency to, what do you mean caught up in that? Caught up in a, the question at all or the. Spend time on it now. What? I I meant we don't need to get into that discussion now if, if we need to move on to sermon stuff. Oh, sorry. You were telling me to move on. No. no. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our life. All right. This this is what it's like. I haven't, I haven't picked up a, I haven't had a clue in years. (laughs) 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 Well, the ram, the well, we don't know. Again, fraught with background. Yeah. Is this something the Lord's providing or is the Lord just drawing attention to what was already there. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference? <laughs> right, right. It's provision either way. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, let's, you're right. It's time to take a break. Let's take a break. Come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and I'm here with Amanda Drury, and we are looking at Genesis Chapter 21, verses 8 through 21. Let's explore some sermon starters. Where do you want to run with this text? What advice could we give or what sermon ideas are germinating in your mind today? I keep coming back to the, the unheard voice of Ishmael, mm-hmm. of God, God responding to, a, to a, a voice that we don't have privy to. Um, and then later, even when you were talking about the water, just thinking unheard voices, unseen water, the, the places where, where God is at work here, perhaps that it, it's not obvious at first. Um, another thing though, another place where my mind goes is looking at, at, excuse me, uh, Hagar's character and she's praying. It's her voice. And even though God's, God is answering her prayer, 
while listening to the voice of another. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm saying that well, but but there's there's something there that's at least meaningful to me as a mother thinking about praying for my own children. That not that God hears the voice of my child and not my own. Um, well, that's the way He does. But 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 that but yeah. that God and I both care for this child. Like we're yeah. it feels like a, almost we're in this together. We're both listening to His voice. Yeah. What a word to hear from God. I mean, if you can imagine, you can't, you probably can't imagine, but if you can imagine, you know, a moment when you've been especially worried, you know, about one of our kids mm-hmm. and interceding on the, on their behalf before God, it's one thing to have God say to you, you know, Amanda, fear not, you know, I've, I've heard, I'm hearing your voice. But to say, fear not, you know, for I've heard the voice of Clara where she is. Yeah, yeah. Right? You can almost picture them down the hall (laughs) just in their pain. Not even like that they're forming a prayer, right? Just, right? I need to hear that the next time uh, Sam's going berserk about something, (laughs) right? To hear God say to me. I hear the voice of the boy where he is. Yeah. I know. I see where he is at. I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I know him Mm -hmm. more than you do. I get him better than he gets himself. Yeah. I hear him. And it doesn't mean stop praying, but it does sort of, man, I just feel there's when I I saw it in your body language, there's a, like a relief, a lifting of the weight. I I just wrote down an an easier yoke to bear on my paper in front of me. Well, fitting in a yoke, it's. It's shared. It's two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the Lord Jesus and us. It's not alongside. so much pressure on me caring for my son. Okay. There's another person in this, uh, another being in this uh, ecology here. Yeah. It, uh, the intercessory ecology. Sorry. I, I Ecolo- like- ecology of intercession. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um <laughs> And that's so, that relief is so necessary because look at verse 18. He's then, she's then told to pick up the boy, Hmm. right? So it's like the burden that's about to be born is sort of lifted even then as it's commanded to be carried. It's like you said, it's, it's the fitting yoke. It's not, oh, I don't have to carry the child anymore. I'm not carrying the child alone. Yes. And I want it to be enough. For God to say, I hear you. But it's kind of like, I know you hear me. I want to know you hear them. <laughs> Do you yeah. hear them when they're screaming, when they need you? And and, and when they don't know how to ask you. And they're, <laughs> what, exactly. they don't even know what they need yeah, or want yet. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this profound relief that, okay, God can still take care of this child even when I'm out of the picture. Yeah. That yeah. That God hearing my child is not contingent on me. Sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. <sighs> yeah. So that, that releasement there is, is, you know, it's harrowing, but it's also really beautiful. Yeah. And, and encouraging in its own way. Well, I, I, I don't know. So here's a sermon idea riffing off of that. To, to, to pick up on the, the God who sees the previous story. Mm-hmm. And it would even be fitting, depending on the context that someone's in, to, to, to read both passages 
um, back to back or to go reference it, uh, read from it during the sermon. It depends on the kind of preacher you are. But, uh, to be able to say, I know to, she, she's on a journey. Hagar's on a journey from knowing that God sees her to learning that God <laughs> hears him. Right. Mm-hmm. So just there's, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, I think there's a, again, that reassurance that, okay, Hagar, this, this interaction you have with God that you had back in the desert, you know, before Ishmael was even born. Yes, that's special, but it's not unique. Uh, right. As is the promise here. It's not about you guys. You're actually both going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's about, you know what I mean? Your family, it's going to go on beyond yeah. you. Yeah. That's right. It's and about something larger. The way that God relates to you is the way that God can relate to your son and his son and his son. No, I think that's right. And, and that's the kind of bizarre thing. And maybe this is too far out, but I mean, everyone, everyone, you know, makes the, the three angels in Genesis 18 into a, a icon of the Trinity. And I'm fine with that. And, but there's also a little icon of the Trinity here of the post incarnate Trinity, at least. She is hmm. the, the first person in Trinity is the father who hears. Ooh. Hagar is the, the second person in the Trinity who intercedes for us. Yeah. And we are Ishmael dying in our sins with the spirit at work in us, right? Wow. Groaning with us, co-groaning with us on our behalf. Hi, si- hi, what? Can you help me with number 20? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in. This is very hard. important. Oh, that one's super hard too. The Google works in there. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause for a second. I'm going to try to do this. All right, <laughs> and then we're going to go back, okay? I already got the telescope. Is it? That is also the. Oh, did you find the way? Did you find the way? Oh no. There's grass there. You know what? I will try this again later. Can you play a different one? I'll get it. I'll get it. That's what this is here for. Oh my lambs! Uh, for the record, John is closing the door with a crutch right now, without getting up. Yep. Okay. Okay, so where were we? You were talking about the oh, the, yeah. the the sublime to the ridiculous. The the, tr- the Trinity here. Yeah, just this kind of the notion of the twofold movement of God as Word and Spirit. Yeah. So, if God hears our prayers in the Word, right, as we speak them, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and then, but there's also the praying of the Spirit that is a kind of groaning that's beyond words. Um. And how those work together and have a kind of special place in, in the heart of God. That's, that's, so it's, this isn't a, I'm proving the doctrine. Yeah. I mean, no. that'd be silly, but it's just, it's, it's an icon, right? It's a, it's a picture of this threefold encounter that, that displays or manifests for us darkly, you know, through glass darkly, a bit of the, the character and shape of God's life. I, I love that. Now, what would you say to the to the person who's freaked out at that thought and, is, and thinks that's sacrilegious somehow to be bringing the, the Trinity into human, valuable people? Oh, well, your beef's with God, not with me. I mean, I'm, this is just the exposition of Romans 8. There's nothing. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's very explicit in, in Romans 8 that, that Jesus, 
Mm-hmm. Not just the, and that's why I said the post-incarnate Trinity, right? Sure. So post-ascension yeah. Trinity, just to make it a little, if that helps. Um, so I'm not saying that this is a theophany. Okay. That would be a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly 18 is a theophany. Right. In a way that not, 21 is not. I mean, uh, 18 is, is explicitly a theophany story. Uh, whether it's Trinitarian is another matter. It's sure. two angels along with the Lord, right? Because even there's three visitors, right? And then two of them go off to... Sodom and one stays behind while God, while Abraham intercedes, you know, like, so this is just a very clear, um, but so no, I, I wouldn't call this a, a theophany. What I was more thinking is that the, the triune shape of Christian prayer is manifested here hmm. through a glass darkly. Right. I like that. I like so, that. and it's the triune shape of God's life as father, word and spirit. That is the divine condition for the possibility of this kind of encounter, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, the risen son, Jesus Christ, is interceding for us at the right hand of the father, you know, in Aramaic. He's speaking with words, human words. He's human. He is Jewish, not just was Jewish. And yet the spirit groans uh, wordlessly. Which is, I think, in, in Romans 8, an intentional contrast with the wordfulness of the Son's intercession, you know? Hmm. Um, so there, there's a kind of, they, they both intercede for us in a different way. Yeah. And in the same way, yeah, there's a kind of very indirect image here uh, or icon. So, but it's a good question to ask. I, I gave you a snarky answer when I said, well, you're a beast with God. <laughs> but I mean, that's the good news of, of the the twin dogmas of Christianity, Trinity and Incarnation, the, the 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 wonderful good news is that God has thrown in His lot with us. That's the message <laughs> of those dogmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is merely reinforcing what's what what is a lesson one could learn by just reading a text like this, right? Because God said God promised to ha- to give Abraham a son through whom He would bless. And he ended up with two. So he's like, all right, I'll work with that. I mean, there's clearly yeah. God has thrown in his lot with the history of this little family. Yeah. And their messed up uh, family system. And I mean, that would be a natural place to start the sermon. You don't know, come out guns blazing with sure, sure. spooky, with my spooky, you know, weird stuff. But you just start with the man, this, you know, you ever, you ever, it's a great way to open a sermon is some kind of indication of like, man, I always feel like. Our families are so screwed up, and then we go read the Bible. We read the Bible looking for instruction and realize they're all messed up, too. I mean, you know, like, this no is a messed up. No such thing as the biblical family. <laughs> the, biblical, the biblical family life. Well, if this is biblical family life, I don't know, man. Looks like God can work with a pretty... This is a, this is a pretty messed up family system that that God is, is electing, right? This is right. how God works. Right. In, with, and under, and through our frailty, you know. Including Sarah's jealousy, mm-hmm. which God has elected to be a instrument of yeah. his blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And Abraham's, you know, selfishness uh, and indeci- indecisiveness. <laughs> God also makes use of. You it know? reminds me of Pilate sometimes. Yeah. Just kind of almost, almost like this hand washing. Ah, you guys figure it out, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like the scriptures don't recommend as a virtue. 
But God has a consistent pattern of making use of such persons, yes? Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're pliable instruments in the divine will. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a hard thing, preaching on these texts, is like the easiest, the, the sort of easiest way to do it is to just find the hero and find the villain Yep. And tell people to be like the hero and yeah. don't be like the villain. That's the that's the the easy way out. And you know what? If if you're busy and stressed, and that's all the time of a sermon you've got a time for sermon prep this week, then go ahead and preach that sermon. But Mandy and I are going to recommend otherwise to, to <laughs> lean into the ambiguity and to always look for God as the hero of the story, and let the typical heroes show their you know, humanity and let the typical villains show a little of their goodness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while ultimately keeping our eye on the goodness of God playing yeah. out here yeah. rather than. And and I think I'd start by a sermon by introducing some of the tension of uh, just how vastly disappointed Hagar is or hmm. disillusioned. So, so if you start off by painting the scene on these are the promises that God has said, these are the things that have been, said to, to, to Hagar and, and build it up for her to, you know, anticipate a place for her Mm. son in this family and in the, in the family of God. And then to just be pushed out early one morning with bread and water. Yeah. I mean, it looks like exchanging blessing for curse. And, um, and even the fact that he was born and didn't happen right away. Oh Yeah. Gives yeah. a couple of years to kind of think, well, yeah, okay, so we're going to yeah. have our place. He's going to be lesser, but he's still right. going to be part of the family. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. So to, to really play on that, on that disappointment, yeah. which is certainly something that people can relate to, you know, have, have you ever, has it ever seemed like God's promises have dissolved into curses? So Psalm 77 could yeah. be a great one to bring in here. Um, yeah. That he's forgotten to be kind, that he slammed the door on his compassion. That's a good suggestion, Psalm 77, to go with that. Yeah. And, and to, to really feel feel the despair in this passage. Not Again, not just because you're on your own with bread and water, but, but because of what had come before. I, I think that context is so important. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the where he is. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That God heard the voice of the boy first says, the angel called mm-hmm. to Hagar. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where where he is. is. Um, And that's even ambiguous. Uh, Probably means where the boy is, but also where where God is. Hmm. God in his holy habitation (laughs) hears Ishmael in his moment of greatest need under this tree. And... That does connect somehow with what you said, but I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) The God God who sees and the God who hears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The promise promise was about the future and it was about the boy. And so, you know, it's not just God saying, don't worry about it. Didn't I give you a promise a while ago? Hmm. It's no, I am still actively hearing, right? Yeah. Um, I'm actively attuned to uh, what's about to take place. 
And man, is this ever not a quick fix. I mean, this is a very, very fit. I mean, this is going to drop in June. This is very fitting for the transition season in this COVID-19 crisis. Again, people might be listening to this much later, but, but it always will be relevant. This is not salvation here is not sewing everything up and going back. Yeah. The first time she leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Salvation and healing means going back. Right. To continue to contribute to this particular family unit that God's elected. Yeah. But now salvation for her in this case is not going back to the old ways. It's actually taking up residence yes. in the wilderness. Yeah. He becomes a wilderness man. That's good. Right. Yep. He becomes yep. a man who's good with a bow. He becomes a hunter, which is what you need to be. You can't be, you know, you're not going to be a fisherman. A sh- yeah. Or a sheep herder, which would have been right. It's not about sheeps and sheep, sheeps. Uh, <laughs> it's not about the sheep and goats anymore now. It's, uh, being an expert expert with the bow, yeah. Um, oh, I, I'm a hunter. I, I, I like where you're going with that. I, I think if I had teenagers in my congregation, which I hope you do, yeah, I, I would I would hold on to that disappointment in the COVID nineteen. In terms of, um, you look at seniors in high school, Ugh, I know who who are yes. forfeiting their own kind of birthright in a sense. You could say in terms of they spent all their life looking for this graduation, open house parties, senior prom, it, you know, things like that. Which which might seem silly to some, but certainly are these milestone moments. And uh, to have that suddenly taken away and, 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 and you can't go back. I mean, you're hearing about uh, schools postponing proms or doing some virtual something and, and it's something, but it's not, it's not what they thought the promise was. God hearing you doesn't always mean restoring your original vision of the promise. Right. Right. right? Um, it's confirming and executing the promise. Yeah. At its heart, uh, which may look a lot different than what was expected. Perhaps even different than God would have even preferred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Cause God's thrown his lot in with us. And so he takes into account our own agency and our misuse thereof. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I would really lean on teenagers, I think, heavily with this so. passage. Um, it, Especially, I mean, yeah. It, it doesn't happen a lot anyway. <laughs> so yeah. anytime you can. And, well, and, even if the teenagers aren't in the room for the sermon, it could be a sermon that has that emphasis on, because it's kind of told from Hagar's perspective, right? In her relationship with the teenagers, so it can be addressed to, to adults. You catch yeah. what I'm saying? I'm not yeah. saying it, it doesn't yeah. have to be a sermon yeah. for teenagers. It could be a sermon for anyone, especially adults, all of whom have some kind of relationship to a teenager, whether having been one, right, or being related to one as nephew. Or this isn't just about the family unit. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not. This is not a standard nuclear family. They yeah. Didn't, they didn't have those yet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the modern family unit is a modern invention. So, um, God, God hears your teenager even if they're not praying. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, let's just start over there. <laughs> right? Yeah. That can even be the opening line. And then you can talk about the messed up family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the oops. And then the ug is the... Yeah. The disappointment and, and the narrating that out, and of course it'd be need to. It would naturally work as a, a highly narrative sermon where you enter into the yep. pain of it all. Yep. And then some of the comments I was making about prayer and the way God hears us and all that stuff uh, can kind of come in in the second half somewhere, and then that line. But that's that's a that's a really good line. I like that. I'm gonna write that down. God hears your teenage. I might say God hears the voice of your children. Yeah, I need to hear that because my 
all three of our children, you know, kind of vary in their interest hmm. in prayer, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of them was super pious for a long time. And the other one was just real <laughs> feet dragging. Just didn't want anything to do with the religious uh-huh. stuff. You know? uh-huh. And then those two have totally flipped. Yep. Yep. And, and that may not stay. I mean, who, who's to know? And then the youngest, of course, is like, <laughs> you know, would you like me to pray for you? Uh, do it in your mind. <laughs> so he says to me every night. Yeah. Because he thinks my, that's so my, cool. My, my favorite was, um, the first time this happened, he, he said, I said, can I pray for it? Can I pray for you? You know, bedtime. <laughs> no. He said, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'll just pray for you in my head then. And I'm quiet and I'm, you know, praying silently. And I said, amen. And Paul just goes, how did you do that? <laughs> and I said, well, I just closed my eyes and I, and I prayed. I said that I said the words in my head and then I said, amen. And he immediately closes his eyes and gets very, very still for a long time, long, long, long time. And then he opens up his eyes and goes, I prayed longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. God heard that voice too. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's, uh, Let's wrap it up. Thanks so much, uh, Amanda, for giving an hour of your time uh, with me and with the text and for our listeners. Yeah. Thanks to all our listeners, as always. I appreciate um, you chiming in and passing the word around. And uh, if you get a chance to click on the link in the show notes to donate just to help out the production staff. They do a lot of work uh, by volunteer. Um, and so anything you can throw their way could be really grateful uh, for that if you want to donate. And thanks as always to Todd and Eric for their um, work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom. <laughs> That's because for... you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Thanks to Tom for his uh, uh, donating the theme music. And uh, with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>